This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. Welcome into In the Zone here on Sports Radio, 1150 KSAL. Jackson Schneider here with James Westling as we begin yet another week here on the job. Lots to discuss from over the weekend. A lot of uh, burning local news and uh, national news as well to get to. We'll do some headlines here in just a minute. But I wanted to open the show with the Heisman because in the past, this would have been like such a big story. But anymore, the last couple of years, Heisman's kind of a home-home, like, oh-by-the-way award. Like, I don't know. Leave something for me. I'm just bored with it because the winners that we've had the last couple of years, James, have been not all that impressive. And uh, not to take anything away from Caleb Williams of USC, who won the Heisman on Saturday night, but uh, it was the closest winning vote margin in the last four years. The problem being the other three, I don't know, they also are a little ho-hum. Not too great. The one that finished second would be the one that I would have voted for uh, in Max Duggan from TCU because I felt like what he did and how he played in the last couple of years, or last couple of games, I should say, excuse me, warranted more of a Heisman Award than what Caleb Williams did over his last couple games. But Caleb Williams received 2,031 total points, 544 first-place votes. Max Duggan finished with 1,420 points and 188 first-place votes. Um, But just to me, I don't know. I I wouldn't have picked Caleb Williams, so I'm a little bit more sour on that. Uh, But also just all the candidates to me outside of those guys is – Stetson Bennett and um, I'm I'm brain farting on the other one. C.J. Stroud, sorry, from Ohio State, and other guys that had gotten votes that didn't get finalist invites were like Bijan Robinson, who I would have totally understood if he got a nod. But James, I want your thoughts on the Heisman. Like it, it doesn't to me mean what it used to mean. Um, I agree with with all of that. I've never really gotten that into who wins the Heisman Trophy. But even more so as of late, I've cared even less and less. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. And I don't think I'm alone. I don't think you're alone. I think a lot of people have lost interest in in the Heisman. Uh, Number one, the, the voting is an absolute mess. Most of the votes come in before conference championship yep. games. And I think a lot of people probably would have... Um, felt more highly about Max Duggan after watching him in the Big 12 championship game and maybe felt a little bit less convinced that Caleb Williams was deserving of this award and the best player in college football, most impactful to his team, most valuable player, however you want to spin it, because he did not have a good Pac-12 championship game. And I know he got hurt and could barely walk in the fourth quarter, but he wasn't very good at the beginning of the game when he was healthy either. So I think that you know the, the fact that the votes come in at, uh, at an unfortunate time uh, plays a big role in that. And then also, I don't think that this award goes to the best player in college football because I think if it did, it wouldn't be a quarterback every year. I mean, I the, agree. The, the last 
seven Heisman Trophy winners, all but one, have been quarterbacks. There's only been one defensive player who's ever won it, and it was Charles Woodson back in 1997. I mean, it's rare when a receiver wins it. Devontae Smith won it in 2020, and he was the best player in college football that year. He was the first non-quarterback running back to win it since... Charles Woodson in 1997, (laughs) who I just brought up. So if they mixed it up, if it really felt like a true MVP award, maybe I'd be a little bit more intrigued by it. But I'm totally bored by the Heisman. Unless there's a K-State guy in the mix, I (laughs) I have no interest in it. To me, it just seems like anymore, if your team isn't, you know, ranked in the top 10, you're not going to get even a, a nod because there have been some statistical anomalies, just the, some absolutely ridiculous seasons by a lot of different players over the last several years that have gone completely unnoticed because they aren't on a team that's making the playoffs or is close to making the playoffs. And I feel like we need to start taking a step back and realizing those sorts of players rather than basically just picking the quarterback on the number one team in the country because Stetson Bennett being a finalist is absolutely ridiculous because, James, I'm fairly confident you could have been a Heisman finalist if you played quarterback for Georgia this year. He's surrounded by 40 NFL players, basically. Every single player around you on offense is going to get drafted. Every single player on that defense more than likely is going to get drafted. So no wonder his numbers are pretty darn good. When you dump off a five-yard out to Brock Bowers at tight end and he breaks off an 85-yard touchdown run as a tight end, of course (laughs) your passing numbers are going to look pretty darn good. That's all I'm going to say. But it's just a little bit stupid. And I'm, I'm soured on the process. I'm soured on the award. And... I I don't know. Something needs to change for this award to continue meaning what it used to mean. But uh, this year was a very boring year in the Heisman conversation. Um, but uh, shall we, uh, I don't know, discuss some not-so-fun news? I've got a couple of headlines. Yeah, there are some big headlines nationally. I also think that just to, to cap the Heisman talk, I also wish that there was more of an emphasis on character and community service and what these guys mean as teammates and what they do off the field. Um, you know, if it was a an award that kind of factored in everything, uh, most valuable player to his team, uh, you know, somebody that's very active in the community, high-character guys – then I'd be more intrigued. I mean, there's a lot of really good defensive players that, like you said, don't even get a look uh, because they play defense. And then there's also some guys that win it that don't turn out to be, or even in college, aren't the best representative of college football. I'll leave it at that. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. Um, But, okay, we got to talk about this, and it's not fun. And the next, really, two things we need to talk about today are not all that fun. Um, But Mike Leach is in hospice, basically, right now. Um, For those of you who are unaware, late last night, he was taken to the hospital for a medical emergency, suffered at his house. Uh, He was then life-flighted to the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, and We have now learned it was a heart attack and a pretty darn severe one at that. And all of the reports from different um, pundits or beat reporters in that area that cover Mississippi State or just sports in general are starting to report that things are looking pretty bleak for Mike Leach. 
um, that he might have suffered seizures and brain damage and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, but he's in critical condition, and that's it's just uh, not looking good for one of the icons of college football right now. Uh, very, very good coach, known for turning programs uh, around and making them successful. He did it at Texas Tech. He did it at Washington State. He's done it so far at Mississippi State. And um, right now it's just not looking great um, for him. And uh, I don't know. It's pretty bum, bummed to uh, to read stuff like this today uh, about one of my favorite coaches because his interviews um, after games, during games, and press conferences, he is famous for absolutely ridiculous out-of-pocket quotes that make – Normal, boring press conference is a lot more fun, and I really would prefer he not uh, pass right now. It just seems a little bit unfair, but uh, you have any thoughts on this one, James? Yeah, um, I do, because I'm a huge Mike Leach fan, and I think everybody loves Mike Leach. You won't find anybody that loves college football that doesn't love Mike Leach, and actually, I was just talking about Mike Leach a couple of weeks ago. Because my wife, who rarely talks sports with me, saw on TikTok his incident when they played at Auburn, and he picked up all the chairs on the bench so that his defense couldn't sit down. <laughs> she thought that was hilarious, and I took that that window of opportunity to share some of the many stories about Mike Leach. Um, and I told her about you know when he was interviewing the sideline reporter this year and knew all about her backstory and her wedding and was giving marital advice on the spot at halftime as he's yep. coming off a field. And he is a guy that not only is hilarious, but he also is very detail-oriented, pays attention to others, cares about others. He's one of the funniest, driest sense of humors that you'll ever see. And so this is devastating, and it's really shaken the college football community. And he's been a winner everywhere he's been. Texas Tech, Washington State, now turning around Mississippi State. And uh, he's a guy that... Either way, whether he survives this or whether he passes, he has already cemented his legacy in college football because he changed the game. He changed the sport with the air raid offense starting at Texas Tech. And I know that he was an assistant at many programs before then, but Texas Tech is really where he got it going from 2000 to 2009. And still one of my core memories as I don't remember exactly how old I was. It wasn't that long ago was when Graham Harrell connected with Michael Crabtree mm-hmm. on the sideline and Texas Tech beat Texas. All of Amer- That night, Texas Tech was America's team. The entire country was pulling for Texas Tech to knock off Texas and have a chance to maybe play for a national championship. They were number one in the country after that win, and you just don't see that at schools like Texas Tech. Uh, I-, I felt that that had a lot of parallels to K-State being number one in the country in the 1990s and even as early as or as, as recent as 2012 with Colin Klein. So it... Uh, I have a lot of memories about Mike Leach is, is what I'm saying, and I really hope that he pulls through. But, gosh, the more I read about this, um, it doesn't. It, it almost sounds like the odds are against that. Yeah, very, um, very much so is, is well, basically everything that I've read. There's been phrases thrown around like it looks really bleak or he needs a miracle. Um, so far, nothing has come out that, that it would say he has passed, and I hope that that doesn't happen. But things are not looking good for him at the moment. Uh, again, move to um, critical care unit, uh, base, which is basically um, 
you know, like hospice, where they're just kind of making him as comfortable as possible for what he has left. But uh, that leaves uh, their defensive coordinator, Zach Arnett, um, who who's put in charge of the football program. They play on January 2nd is their bowl game in the ReliaQuest Bowl against Illinois. Um, but uh, be really, really sad if he were to pass. And so thoughts are with him and his family and um, Mississippi State's program because I know that's not going to be easy to deal with. Um, but that leads us into another bit of news. Um, not quite to that note, but still not good. Uh, Texas head coach Chris Beard was arrested this morning, really early this morning, um, for a felony domestic violence charge. Uh, he's going through the booking process at the Travis County Jail, according to Kristen Dark, which is the senior public information officer for the Travis County Sheriff's Office in Austin. He was arrested by police at about 4.15 a.m. this morning on third-degree charge of assault of a family-slash-household member, impeding breath circulation, or strangulation. So, uh, not looking good for that, Um but I guess police received a call for d- disturbance, and they were they were dispatched to his home, and were there to arrest him. He's still been in custody. He can be in custody for up to twenty four hours before he has to see a judge, uh, which means up until four a.m. today. But uh, just to get on top of that, uh, Chris Beard might still be in jail come tonight when Texas. Now the number seven ranked team in the country plays Rice tonight. So a uh, very odd set of circumstances there. Uh, the university said they are aware of the situation regarding Chris Beard, and they are continuing to gather information and monitoring the legal process. So um, another big-time headline today there. Huge headline. Huge headline. And uh, another headline that uh, the more I've looked into uh, – the more convinced I am that I think Chris Beard may have coached his last game at Texas. Um, this is not a misdemeanor. This is a felony offense. And a, a person charged with this type of offense faces up to 10 years in prison. There's also very specific language in his contract yep. that if he represents the university in an unfavorable light, if he is arrested, if he is charged, in anything involving the law – is cause for termination um, without you know them owing him any type of settlement or buyout or severance. So uh, this is this is uh, there, there's a lot of of smoke here. Um, there were witnesses. Uh, the fact that this happened at midnight and then he was arrested at four fifteen means that it sounds like they talked to a lot of people did a very thorough initial investigation yeah. or sweep, if you will, that took about four hours, probably closer to three, three and a half by the time they you know, got there and actually started talking to people. But still, they did their due diligence before they put him uh, in handcuffs and in the back of a police cruiser. So, man, I'm, I'm really starting to think that, that Chris Beard uh, may have coached his last game. I will say uh, there is information out here that his attorney, 
Perry Minton, who is supposedly one of, if not the top attorney, defense attorneys in the Austin area, which doesn't surprise me. Why would the uh, head coach at the University of Texas have a bad lawyer? Um, came out and he said that uh, to the Austin American statesman, by the way, that Beard is, quote, 100 percent innocent of all these charges. Uh, he should have never been arrested. The complaint wants him released Complainant wants him released immediately and all charges dismissed. It is truly inconceivable, unquote. So that's a little bit fishy as well. Uh, but what good lawyer would, wouldn't right. say something like that? Uh, so very, very intriguing set of circumstances here. And I'm, I'm with you because even if this all comes out to be nothing in the end, right? Or if, if the charges are cleared – the stain of this incident is not going to go away. Um, and with that language in Chris Beard's contract and how much they've paid him, I wouldn't be shocked if they used it as cause to move on and do so without a buyout. Um, you know, even though he has built Texas clearly into a very successful team, like we mentioned a moment ago, they're ranked number seven in the country for good reason. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if he coached his last game at Texas either. Uh, but it's going to take some time before we really get all these details. Um, so he definitely won't be coaching tonight against Rice. And I don't know how long it'll be after that before we see or hear anything else. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah. I mean, this is a domestic violence. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, I, I, don't underst- I don't see how Texas could put him back on the sideline. I mean, the the the... You talk about cancel culture and the backlash. Yep. If they let him coach again this season. Uh, <laughs> and in, in all, my all places, Austin, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, you know, the more I sit here and kind of think this through in my head, like this this had to be uh, a very scary moment for the family member and the witness. Um, to know just everything that he has at stake um, – Knowing that he would be able to go out and hire the the swankiest, you know, most expensive attorney in the state um, to still call the police. And and again, it wasn't just a one person decision. Somebody, obviously the the, the victim, number one, but also the witness. Um, This 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 is really scary stuff. And, you know, we've heard about Chris Beard and his temper behind, you know, closed doors and just how crazy he is and. Uh, how he kind of puts that fear into his players sometime. Um, You know, like I said earlier, where there's smoke, there's fire. And, uh, man, this just – this is wild stuff. Yeah, and I I will say also, uh, based on his reputation, like you just mentioned, and and like his temper that we've heard about and other things – it's not the most surprising. Right. And that's what makes it even scarier uh, is that like with with sometimes news like this happens and people are shocked that, you know, a person with a really good image or not known for temper issues or anger problems would do stuff. Uh, well, this one is not all that surprising. And if that's the case where, like you said, where there is smoke, there is probably some fire. Um, but again, lot, a lot. A lot of information still needs to come out on this before um, he even 
considers being allowed. They even consider letting him coach at Texas again. But uh, we got to take a break when we come back. Some other big stuff happening around the area over the weekend. K-State got a big football commit and a big win yesterday. KU beat Missouri. And uh, their women's basketball team also making some waves. So we'll talk about all of that coming up next here on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. Zone is powered by Spartan Roofing and Exteriors. They specialize in roofing, guttering, siding, windows, and doors. For both commercial and residential work, you can visit them online at SpartanRoofingAndExteriors.com to schedule a free inspection or a project consultation today. If you're worried about your roof as we head into the colder winter months, Give them a call. Check them out online. That's SpartanRoofingAndExteriors.com to learn more today. Jackson Schneider and James Wessling with you today. Let's talk some K-State sports. A couple different things on the radar uh, over the weekend for the Cats. First of all, yesterday, the K-State men's basketball team with a what was it, 48-point win yep. <laughs> over Incarnate Word, who is a notably bad basketball team. Um, but K-State um, gets that win and moves on to 9-1 and one on the season, which I believe is the best start for a first-year head coach at K-State in program history. Correct. Uh, which is pretty darn impressive for Jerome Tang and crew. Um, with that, they also were receiving two votes in today's AP poll released. Uh, never mind the fact that that is two votes less than the one in nine Mississippi Valley State Delta Devils. Um, not sure why that's the case, but it is. <laughs> Uh, but a big, big win for the Cats yesterday. They kind of keep right on trucking now, uh, taking care of business against the teams they should take care of business against, and I think that's very important. And they now head into their game in Kansas City against Nebraska on Saturday, uh, which I think we will learn a lot more about Kansas State's basketball team in that one than we probably learned in a 48-point drubbing over the 355th-ranked team in Ken Palm out of what? 363 teams, I yeah, think. Something like that. All in all, you know, it's it's what you would want to do against a team like that. And K-State's 9-1, and one, not only is it, as you said, the, the best start for a first-year head coach, it's K-State as a team, their best start in a decade yep. since the 2011-12 uh, season when Kansas State was, was pretty darn good. And then the next year won a share of the Big 12 championship. K-State also was one bucket shy of their first 100-point effort since 2008. I didn't realize it had been that long. And the 98 points that they did score was their most since 2014. Um, What what I liked most was that K-State shot the ball really well. I mean, they got any shot that they wanted, and the fact that they shot almost 60% for the game, 59%, They hit like 13 threes and shot almost 50% from deep. That shows me that even though K-State has struggled at times this year offensively, they're capable of having really good shooting nights. They don't just have a team full of really bad shooters. Um, It's just getting the right shots. And then also a guy that we never talk about because he doesn't play much is the freshman Dorian Finister, who Mm -hmm. worked his way um, out of a red shirt and into the lineup or at least by lineup, I mean one of the top 10 guys. Uh, he had a career-high 10 points, 4 of 5 shooting, 
Went two for two from three, seven rebounds and four assists, as well as a steal in 22 minutes. And I bring that up because, again, it's a true freshman that was under-recruited that shows he's capable of being the best player on the floor at times against really bad teams. So, all in all, uh, K-State led by 40 most of this game, scored the first 23 points of the second half, and did what you would want them to do. Favored by 27, by the way. One by 48, so blew the spread out of the water. Um, Is it too early to talk about NCAA tournament aspirations? Not at all. Because Joe Lunardi's putting a bracket out every week. So is Andy Katz as well. He, he, in Joe Lunardi's most recent bracketology thing, um, K-State was in the last four in, which I think is perfectly fair. Um, But looking at K-State's schedule remaining in non-conference, You've got Nebraska on Saturday, Radford next Wednesday, and then you get into conference play and your other non-con game is that uh, January 28th game home game against Florida. And Florida, mind you, is 6-4 and four on the season and is coming off of, over the weekend, a 21-point loss to a really good UConn team. So I'm going to sit here and say it is not entirely impossible K-State wins their last three non-conference games this season, and that puts them at 12-1 and with 18 Big 12 games. And with as good as the national perception of the Big 12 conference is, how many conference games does K-State have to win to solidify a tournament berth? Is it six, seven, eight? It's a, personally, to me, I think it's eight. I think you got to go eight and ten to really be solidly in. You could make a case with, again, as good as the Big 12 supposedly is, that six or seven could get you in with a record of having, you know, 18, 19 wins. But I think to get to 20, that really solidifies you as a tournament team, being a 20 win team. Uh, But uh, again, who would have thought we'd be talking like this on December 12th? in the first year of a new head coach. Because I, I would not have told you this uh, when they hired Jerome Tang back in March. So pretty big progress already for the Wildcats. Well, and I, I just texted somebody about this the other day because I saw what you just pulled up with Lenardi, but also Andy Katz of NCAA.com put out his first bracket, and he had K-State as a nine seed. Um, so pretty much you know locked in a, as of today. Now K-State's 54th in Ken Palm in Florida – who you mentioned is on the horizon in January, they're 55th. So, I mean, you're splitting hairs there. That's a toss-up game, probably. Nebraska's 80th in Ken Palm. What I'm saying is, even if K-State does slip up, which I think it's going to be hard to run the table in the rest of the non-con, I think they'll probably lose one of those games. I I was impressed by Nebraska over the weekend. They've played a top-10 schedule in the country. They almost took down Purdue. Um, But I think K-State can lose one of those and still get in with an 8-win Big 12 regular season. I think if you win seven games in the Big 12, you're in the conversation. But then it depends on your non-conference schedule. And K-State hasn't had a super tough non-conference schedule. It's been okay, but it it hasn't been like it would need to be for a team to go 7-11 and in Big 12 play and and get in. I think 8-10, and you're definitely in. I think there's a big gap with that one win. Very few Big 12 teams have ever gotten in the field with seven wins. Oklahoma did it a couple of years ago, but that's because they had uh, a top 10 strength of schedule in the country. Um, this year, I don't, I don't think K-State has that resume. But it also comes down to who are those seven teams. 
you know, where are they ranked at the time? And the Big 12 now, with what happened with Chris Beard, like what's Texas going to look like here in a month? Uh, That's a very uh, you good know, point. Um, we know KU is surging, and Baylor has shown some vulnerability getting blown out at Marquette. I don't know if there's a team in the Big 12 that K-State isn't capable of at least splitting with and and having a chance on their home floor. It's, I think splitting is is very, very much a realistic possibility for K-State in most of those games. I will tell you, going to need to see a little bit more, though, about those those Baylor, KU, uh, and uh, Texas games. I still think I'm still, despite TCU now being ranked 21st in the country, I'm still very much um, skeptical of them as a team. Um, but the, those top teams, I'm going to need to see more out of K-State um here soon just to kind of learn and give myself more thoughts on what they are actually realistically capable of if that makes sense what's 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 the ceiling for k-state against those three teams ku texas and baylor i think the ceiling is to win at home against two out of three of those teams so to go two and four um yes i I agree two and four against those three would be huge i think even if you get one against those three yes it's big big enough I, yeah, one. You need signature wins. That's that's the name of the game. Is the signature wins. One of them certainly helps. Two of them. Now you're talking. Yep. Now you're talking. But I don't think there's any way K State sweeps anybody uh, of the or at least of those three top tier Big Twelve teams uh, at home. They're going to lose at home to one of them. I couldn't tell you who that's going to be because if I could, I'd be a rich man not working at this station right, right. now. But uh, despite all of that, I still am very impressed with where they're at, and I would like them to win going away against Nebraska because if you can get a convincing win against a Power 5 opponent that's looked pretty darn good here lately, yeah, that's going to help a lot. Have too. you actually watched them at all? I have not watched so Nebraska the, at all. The no. thing about Nebraska— I'm a box score bandit when it re- yeah, re- yeah. relates to Nebraska. Well, you know, they've they've got this kid um, who's a, a 6'9", essentially a point forward, and he's going to be a matchup nightmare for K-State because of, of K-State's lack of height at that position, not just with Noel, but even if you put Sills on him. Uh, I think K-State will probably put Naquan Tomlin on him, but the guy's— Pretty physical, too. Um, He's a local kid, and I can't remember his last name, uh, Geisler or something like that, but Purdue had no answer for him. And and like I said, he's just a really good teammate and doesn't take bad bad shots. Um, And then Nebraska, they don't have a ton of height on the inside, but they're thick. They've got some really big bodies, and they gave uh, Zach Eady of Purdue a lot of problems yesterday afternoon or Saturday, whatever game that was whatever day it was that I watched that game. <laughs> so I, I think K-State just to win this year against Nebraska, I'll take it because they've, they've played a – they might even be in the top five in schedule strength. I'd have to look. It's it's crazy. Yeah, they, they have played some good teams. Like we, we talked about that St. John loss uh, late, late last week. They, they lost to St. John's early in the year on the road. They've lost to Memphis and to Oklahoma in their midseason tournament. Uh, they have wins over Florida State and Boston College, who are two really bad ACC teams. Uh, they beat Creighton, who a few we- like a week ago that was a really really good win. I think Creighton's lost like their last four games now, though. 
um, which is a little bit interesting. Their center's out. Kalkbrenner. Yeah, oh, yes. They're missing him yeah, a ton. Kalkbrenner, I definitely know that. But, yeah, um, Creighton has lost, yeah, four straight. But they're not not any of them are really bad losses. Listen to this. Creighton has lost to number 14 Arizona by two, uh, at Texas by five, Nebraska by 10, and most recently on Saturday night, they lost to BYU on a neutral floor by three points. BYU, not great this year, but traditionally is pretty darn solid. So those are all, um, I don't know, take what you will on that. But Nebraska with back-to-back losses at Indiana and then Purdue by three over the weekend. So a win would certainly help K-State's cause. But uh, we need to briefly mention this uh, commit K-State football got. We're running out of time in this segment, so let's get on that quickly here. But uh, and the Iowa transfer, I believe his name is Keegan Johnson. Is that right? Uh, Keegan, Kagan, I can't quite remember. Um, but he was Iowa's leading receiver not this year but last year. Um, Iowa... Obviously, it's no secret they have struggled mightily on offense in 2022. So a lot of their players, top players offensively, looking for opportunities elsewhere. Uh, But this is a big pickup for K-State. I believe this kid was at one time a four-star high school recruit at wide receiver. So could be very, very helpful for the Wildcats, we're going to need some help at wide receiver this year after losing Malik Knowles and I believe Philip Brooks as well. Yeah, I mean, this guy will have a chance to come in, and depending upon how quickly he learns the offense, could be K State's number one receiver. He's that talented. Uh, out of the Omaha, Nebraska area, he was hurt this year. He only played in one game, and so that's another thing that you'll have to keep an eye on is how does he return from that injury? Not 100% sure what it was. I don't think it was an ACL or anything like that, but in his freshman season at Iowa, the guy had 400 yards receiving, which at Iowa is like a 1,500-yard season anywhere else because of their pace of play and just how bad they are. He was a phenomenal receiver for them a season ago. So this is a huge get for K-State. He'll be just a sophomore. He'll have three years to play. He's big at 6'1", 195, so he's probably a pretty good blocker or somebody that can be you know coached up to be a good blocker in the run game. I just think he's a phenomenal fit for K-State, and there's a, a rumor that maybe one more former Iowa Hawkeye receiver might be coming with him in Bruce, who's from Kansas City and yeah. was a really good receiver for them yeah. This year, Arlen Bruce was a huge recruit out of Olathe North who transferred actually to, I believe, uh, somewhere in Des Moines, Iowa for his senior year because at the that was right after COVID um, where they didn't know if they were even going to have high school football in Kansas that year. So he transferred and it was one of several good players in the Kansas City area to do so. Um, and then he ended up going to Iowa. But K-State was in on Arlen Bruce until the very, very end, the first time around anyways. So two Iowa pickups at wide receiver could be pretty darn helpful, yeah. uh, not it, just one. And if you just want to look at what Iowa receivers do when they get in a normal offense, look at the kid from Purdue this year. He led the Big Ten in receptions. He had over 120 catches. He had almost 2,000 yards receiving and over 10 touchdowns. He led the Big Ten in receptions, yards, and touchdowns and helped Purdue get to the Big Ten championship. And nobody knew about him because he spent three years at Iowa where they don't do anything with any type of offensive talent. Yeah, definitely worth noting there. we got to take one more break. When we come back, KU pounds Mizzou over the weekend and KU's women's basketball team making waves as well. We'll touch on that to end the show up next here on In the Zone. 
in the zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. Jackson Schneider with James Westling today. And let's talk some KU hoops, uh, and, and not just the men, because the KU men got a great road win on Saturday, uh, renewing that rivalry with Missouri and, and really making light work of the Missouri basketball team on Saturday. I think a lot of people might have been expecting a better basketball game than what they got because Missouri was previously undefeated, but Kansas absolutely dog walked dog walk the Tigers 95-67 to on Saturday. And what if I were to tell you that wasn't the best basketball win by a KU team over this weekend? You might laugh, but the KU women's basketball team, funny enough, um, they also had a huge win over the weekend. I guess technically it was Thursday night, but then they built on that with a win on Sunday as well. The KU women's team went to number 7 ranked Arizona on Thursday, James, and beat them by 27. And then they won convincingly against Iowa State on uh, yesterday afternoon. So now KU's women's team is ranked for the first time since 2000, uh, 2013, which is pretty crazy. Nine years. But basketball success on both sides for KU is pretty pretty crazy. Not very often you see that. But the men now are, uh, I think, fell to, what was it, number eight. They actually dropped two spots for beating Missouri by yeah. 30 on the road. And the KU women's team debuts at uh, 22nd in the league. Yeah. And they are undefeated at 9-0. and Well, it, it is going to be such a fun winter here in this state with KU and K-State men and now women's basketball. Mm-hmm. Because KU and K-State, the last couple of of years on the women's side have had some really good games. In fact, KU beat Manhattan last year, uh, beat K-State in Manhattan last year, and K-State got upset by South Dakota State on the women's side, dropped out of the top 25, and KU hops in. Uh, it's going to be an epic doubleheader, or, or two-game series, I should say, for the, the K-State and, and KU women. I'm really excited about that. Also, uh, yeah, KU men, I, I saw this coming a mile away. Not sure about how you felt about it. When I saw yeah. this was a three-point spread, I was stunned. Like I, I felt like KU was going to feed off the energy of that crowd. That's what Jalen Wilson said first at his post-game press conference, and Kevin McCullough said pretty much the exact same thing. They loved it. Like They wanted to go in there and show them up in their own building, and they dominated Missouri from the opening tip. Missouri also came in with a 9-0 and record. They hadn't played anybody. They had one of the worst non-conference schedules in college basketball, so I felt like this was going to be a huge wake-up call. Uh, I didn't see K.J. Adams going off for 19 points and only missing two shots, pulled down six rebounds as well, but McCuller and Wilson combined for 45, and I think Grady Dick is an elite scorer, and he was really efficient yesterday with 16 points on only 11 shots, but I think in Big 12 play, when you need a bucket, the, the bucket getter is going to be Jalen Wilson and, and maybe Kevin McCuller as the second guy. But I think Jalen Wilson's going to end up being the go-to guy on this team. He, he looks like an NBA-ready player now. I, uh, I didn't anticipate so much basketball success this year, uh, men's or women's. But uh, one thing I will say is I definitely am right there with you when I, I knew KU was going to win this game. I, I knew KU was going to beat Missouri in basketball when the schedule was released in like mid-August or whatever. But I was even more convinced um, on like Thursday when I saw that the number was only minus three and a half. And I, I didn't even mess around with the spread. I took KU Moneyline. 
because we can talk about that legally now. The only thing I wish is I would have put more money on it because that was the most no sweat bet I've had in a very, very long time. And I wish that I would have risked more on that because it was just that game was over before the under 16 timeout oh, of the yeah. first half. KU was up like 20 to 7, and Missouri was lucky to be within that point within the first six minutes of the game. It was never, never in doubt. And uh, it's so funny. You you mentioned Mizzou's like uh, strength of schedule or, or lack thereof. I, I used this note on Thursday when we had Brian Haney on the show. Missouri started the year at like 41st in Ken Palm. Because of their schedule, despite going like 9-0 and to start the year, they dropped eight spots. Yeah, That's how bad the schedule they played was. So clearly... They have a lot more work to be done, and that's okay because I'd like Missouri to be competitive. I think it makes it fun, especially when they're playing KU like they will continue to do for the next, I think, two more years. But the next two are going to be in Kansas City at the T-Mobile Center. But that game's just a lot more fun when the game's competitive. And for the first two years of that rivalry coming back, it has been all KU all the time. Yeah, and, and I think the the biggest bright, I guess, bright spot of KU basketball as of late, there's plenty to choose from. But for me, it's the fact that they've scored over 90 points in back-to-back games against teams that want to play at a slower tempo. Seton Hall is one of the top defensive teams in Ken Palm. KU hangs 91 on him. Missouri had been really pretty good defensively. Wanted to play at a slower pace. KU hangs 95 on the Tigers. Largest margin of victory ever in Columbia for KU since 1957 when they won by 33. Uh, This was truly a a historic day for KU. And I was intrigued by this as well, Jackson, because K-State looked at Dennis Gates in in the coaching search, uh, who Missouri hired. And Dennis Gates brought in a lot of transfers that K-State was looking at as well. So I, I was intrigued by this one. And even though Damari Hodge led Missouri in scoring with 15, Tigers were no match for KU uh, Saturday. Yeah, definitely not yet. I I really do think uh, Dennis Gates is a very good coach, though. Me too. He did a lot of really good things at Cleveland State and uh, brought in a couple players with him as well. But we'll learn a lot more about KU on Saturday as well. They host number 14, Indiana, on Saturday. Uh, So big game for them as well. But that is going to wrap up our show for today. Again, if you missed anything, uh, whether that was earlier in our show today or last week, etc., check us out on Spotify. Search In The Zone on KSAL. Give us a like and a follow, all that fun stuff. And in the meantime, we will be back tomorrow. Same time, same place. About 5.15, right here on 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. For James Wesling, I am Jackson Schneider saying good night, and uh, we will see you tomorrow.